since I've seen these two, we're talking about the co-creator, the co-conspirator, the technical director, the executive producer of the joint, Monet Nathan. Yeah, what's what's going on, man? My title gets longer every episode. I love that. It's fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> we I'm got add-ons. <laughs> I don't know. There's not enough space on the screen for all of the, yeah, love it. We got to, we got to add, I'm going to get the ticker going later when you're not looking, Nathan. Uh, but <laughs> And anyway, uh, the love of cab life right here, the, uh, the woman who inspires us, uh, fills us with information and keeps us going, a study of UAPs, uh, also known as uh, the host of Deb's Data Dojo. Put some hands together for Deb. Hello, everybody. So happy to be here. Looking forward to creative genius. How's yes. it going, girlfriend? I know. Yeah, we're about to bring on a real genius right here. Uh, thank you for hooking us up with Science Bob. I got to tell people that Deb is making things happen behind the scenes. She's making moves. She's like that character from Heat that was working in the junkyard with all the pit bulls. Mm -hmm. Anyway. There's uh, <laughs> always room for a Heat reference, right? Uh, I know our next guest knows that. Uh, he actually is a director of a full motion video called The Aerial Phenomenon. This brother's from a neighboring state close to me where I went to college in Massachusetts. He's a tall brother. He's a good-looking brother. He's got nice hair. And guess what? He's 12 days younger than me. Put your hands together for Randall Nickerson! <laughs> Woohoo! Oh, man. You're 12 yes. days older than me. All right, man. Thanks for having me on, guys. I appreciate it. So yeah. respect your Good elders, brother. Okay. That's great. Okay. That's great. <laughs> I'm gonna tell you guys real quick, you know, before we get into this. Um, so I called uh, this gentleman. He was kind enough to give me his contact details when we we're having uh, dinner after the uh, anomalous uh, symposium put on by James and Jay in Nueva York City, my home, uh, my home state there. And uh, I did call Randall, and it took him a couple weeks. And all of a sudden, uh, I'm getting ready to go to sleep, but phone rings over in England, and it is Randall Nickerson. And mm -hmm. it's so exciting, you know, for, I, I mean, any, any of you in the UFO universe that get a call from this gentleman are going to be excited. And uh, we had a great conversation that covered a whole wide range of topics. So it's such a pleasure to meet you and speak with you, Randall. Same. No, I think it's, uh, it's appropriate times for having these conversations. It's really it, it is. There's a lot going on. And whenever whenever you want to get into that as a topic, uh, we'll, we will get into it. But in the meantime, you know, the thing that we discussed. Um, uh, hi, <laughs> hi, Julie Farrell is in the is in, in the chat right there of uh, Jewels of the Wood from Mel. Yeah, she's saying welcome, Randall. Hell yeah. 
uh, and she's taking care of us in the chat, so uh, be kind to Jules or she'll throw you out of there. Just kidding. Um, but anyway, <laughs> um, Randall, you know what I wanted to ask you, and I may have even asked you this on the phone to start off with, is um, is there something that happened in your life that got that made this come to the forefront of your creative process in your creative mind? Um, yes, but I'd like to leave it at that. Okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, I mean, you know, were they you, mantids? I'm just kidding. <laughs> well, I think just, um, it doesn't take much actually, to be honest with you, if you really explore nature, explore this world, that there are still a lot of mysteries and a lot of things we don't understand. Um, that's including up in the skies, under the oceans, everywhere. Um, you know, part of this uh, whole balloon phenomenon is kind of interesting. I've been, you know, following it and it just strikes me how, how much, how many people don't even know what happens in the night sky. You like right. normal things, you know? because most of the population lives in light polluted areas. Um, anyway, I'll stop talking. <laughs> no, go off the no that's great. But no, uh, that's what we're looking for. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. yeah, I think part of, uh, I think this is the job of, um, you know, the, the, the government and the military is to help people understand what actually happens up in the sky that are normal phenomena. So we can tell, so people can actually tell the difference between something, um, that shouldn't be there. And that's, I mean, I think you've just characterized what, if you were to take almost all of UFO Twitter would, you know, you characterize it for everybody that that's what their feeling is about, about disclosure. That's, that's the whole thing. Let me turn you over to the capable hands of money. Nathan. Thanks DJ. Yeah. Randall, uh, I just want to say a couple of things before I ask a question. Um, one, the, 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 the movie is fantastic. Uh, and, and I just wanted to thank you for the many years of time. I know that it took to get that done, uh, to get all that footage, to get the approvals. To, I mean, it was a labor of love and that came out in every scene of that movie. I was moved to tears. It was incredibly moving, powerful. Uh, and, and I really want to thank you for that. Um, you know, something struck me about the testimony of the children and I have two kids and, and, you know, I was talking with them, took them to dinner the other night and my youngest, who's 12, was just sort of giving me all this information. I'm just kind of staring at him and he just keeps on talking. And it just sort of struck me, you know, kids are kind of, uh, they're very much an open book. And, and there's something really sacred when a child is willing to tell you something and to just kind of give you information. Uh, they're inviting you into that space. And I wonder how how did the, the testimony of these children from Ariel like impact you and your crew as you were kind of putting this film together? What kind of impact did it have on you? Um, I mean, it's just striking to watch this archival footage. There's a lot of it. Um, that was the first thing that struck me. And then when I started to meet them as adults, I think that's when I really kind of, it's set in on a different level with me um, because they were telling the same exact story, even though a lot of these people hadn't seen their interviews were not even some, some of these, a lot of these interviews have never been seen still mm -hmm. to this day. Mm -hmm. um, and that yet they told exactly the same story. Um, yeah, that was the, 
it makes me think, you know, one of the things that I did in this film um, was to get opinions on the on the, the, the early interviews of the children on um, body language and all that kind of thing. I had uh, some really good people look at that and uh, come back with, yeah, they're telling the truth. So um, there's going to be a paper coming out about that uh, from those, uh, a, a group of people pretty soon that we're going to make public. Um, but it's just very telling. <clears throat> um, just on that level, on a body language, truthful statements um, by by professionals that uh, that's what they do. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I was struck um, routinely uh, in this story um, by many of the individuals. And thank you for the credit for this film, but I gotta give it to the witnesses mm-hmm. and the people that were there for this story because if it, you know, I did the research, figured out the story, did all the, you know, I did a lot of hard work, but uh, they took the risk, you know, and they, they were there. I know a lot of people notice it, but every part of that film is first person witnesses. You know, there's no second person or third person. It's all only people that were, were um, either witness to that event or directly involved. Mm -hmm. Cause I couldn't come in as an outsider to say, yeah, this is what happened. No, they right. could tell far better than I could. And that's, I guess, one of the amazing parts about this movie is there was so much material mm. that I could do that, that I, my crew, when, when I got a crew around um, halfway through the film, because I couldn't do it alone, I figured that out. Uh, yeah, they, they, they were amazing. The crew also uh, deserves a lot, a lot of credit. Absolutely. Yeah, there was uh, certainly there is a degree of editorialization that happens just in the composition of the film. But to your point, there was not a heavy handed editorialization. And I really liked that. I liked that the footage was, you know, it's just here it is. And you, the viewer, are going to interpret this as you will. Um, But because so much of it was vulnerable, you know, was was very personal. I think that invites the the viewer to into that into that that intimate space, right into those intimate feelings, um, and it explores. Um, you know, you, it touches on this the aspect of sort of trauma, both on an individual and public level, and how we process that as a culture. And uh, you know, I wonder uh, to what extent, if 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 you can even share this, is is there trauma? still permeating that area, the, the school, the legacy of that event the, in Rua, like, is it still something that is present in that community? Oh, it's, yeah, I would say so. Uh, it's funny because people around Africa know about this event and they, you know, speak about it uh, still to this day. And uh, so I, you know, there's, there's trauma from many different, for many different reasons and not necessarily bad reasons, just like worldview shattering is a trauma. Your Mm -hmm. your worldview shatters and you realize there's, Oh, there's another piece of this picture that nobody ever taught us. Um, That kind of changes history a little bit, actually. It makes you look at history a little different, Mm -hmm. but that's a, that's a trauma in, in itself. I think, And different people are at different levels of wherever they're at. You know, I'm in my own process. You're in your own process. We're all in our own process with trauma. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I think it was a major event that occurred there that affected hundreds of people's lives. Hundreds of people's lives. And uh, 
because it wasn't just the school. You know, there were other witnesses in other locations uh, that what they saw, they'll remember for the rest of their lives. So absolutely. Just the way it is. That's what I'm thinking about. Uh, but I, I got to pass it over to Debs because she got we got to let her get at you and then and then I'll have my chance. Well, my question actually is sort of about that traumatic re response. Also, it's sort of I wanted to know, having made the film and because we're always concerned about not exploiting experiencers, at least I am, you know, did, did the people coming forward feel like it was cathartic and helpful um, to come out and be able to just let people know what happened? Did, did they feel like there was a positive experience with coming out and having the film done? I think so. Underneath, I, I, I believe that, you know, you know, I, the, most of them have said that to me, you know, on, on, on the, off the record. Um, but I think initially when the media went over there, uh, in 1994 and they got so much, uh, you know, they felt, I still think like the majority of those students feel like they were taken advantage of in that situation which I can understand because they, they got all the press and they didn't get any help uh, because nobody knew what to do really uh, or how to um, work with these children after the fact. Um, um, but at the same time, if they didn't interview those kids at that time, this movie, this story would never have been out. So it's kind of a, I understand, and it's not easy for anybody to go through something like this. And um, I felt that through this, and I still feel that. I feel responsible for for these people's lot. You know, in a way, as a storyteller, I feel like it's no small deal um, for me to be telling their stories, and um, you know, understanding the what that is, what's that, what that's like to all of a sudden have your private life public, you know, especially when it's, uh, uh, something that's been kept really secretive for the most part. I mean, in this event, a lot of people knew about it. Uh, the parents were, everybody was very well informed. Um, so it's a little bit of different in that way, but, uh, yeah, I think the most, horrible thing that I've ever seen. And you've, I'm sure you're all have seen this over the years is when these people get attacked. Um, I, it's just, uh, it's hard enough to have gone through something like this and then to have, uh, people, uh, laugh at you or whatever. It's, uh, it just adds to the trauma to be honest with you. I thought you were going to say the most horrible thing you'd seen was the way I attacked the fried pickles at the table when we were at the barbecue restaurant. So I'm really <laughs> glad that that wasn't among them. No, that maybe, wasn't maybe, it. Maybe. Sorry. Good. Good. It's, it's up there, though. It's, it's, not, yeah, no, it's, it's not. I hope it's not. pretty high. Yeah. <laughs> so, you can't unsee some things, you know. <laughs> it was a fun night, I have to say. That was a really, it really was. good time. Yeah. So much camaraderie. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm going to go off-road here for a second, Randall, and I'm going to go back to Debs and say, Deb, um, if you were, as a mental health professional, if you were going to engage with one of these kids and sit down in a session, 
what would you, what would maybe be your couple of opening questions for them? Or how, how would you get dialogue going with one of these kids that appear to be traumatized since you're in this business? Well, the thing that I think is 100% most important, not just for children, but for anyone with trauma, is validation. So you're not going to try to say, are you sure you saw that? Or, you know, are you imagining it? You're just going to let them tell their experience. Um, and, you know, whether or not you believe needs to be left out of the situation. It doesn't matter. They believe it and they need to process it. But the next step is then to deal with the symptoms, um, not so much like the cause of the symptoms. And that's what treatment should entail. So no, do you I, want I'm specific glad. questions? I don't know. Like, I, I no, think I, that's it's it's going to take more than just one or two questions. It's going to be a conversation. I've had people, by the way, mm -hmm. I've had clients tell me experiences and I just let them tell me. And okay. then they don't have that secondary trauma where they're walking away feeling like an idiot for telling someone. Right. That Yeah, I know. I've heard of it in the Bigfoot world. I've heard uh, wives that had experience and husbands say, I don't believe you. <laughs> uh, even when they were like at the same campsite, but the husband was off and then they come back and the wife says, oh, my God, this happened. And they're like, I don't believe you. And so um, you guys did hear... Uh, Bigfoot Eyewitness Radio with Vic Cundiff. He's very, uh, he really tries to counsel people like that because he, he feels very strongly that you shouldn't tell somebody they didn't see something or experience something. And if they look like they're really scared, something probably happened, you know. Uh, but we're not going Bigfoot yet, Randall, so don't worry. <laughs> um, well, I think, you know, you're, you're right on there, Deb. Um, and I think, like, I did some training i was uh in in psychotherapy way before this uh, film um and you know one of the things is whatever their story listen to it because the truth comes out over time it doesn't matter like over time i mean i had the advantage of uh doing this film of knowing certain things right before i even met anybody like i was connecting dots figuring out who who was who who was their friend who was their family you know, I, I had to do that. It's funny. I know these kids better than most people I know. Wow. <laughs> it's, it's, but you know, so when I got to the interview place, thank you, Deb, cause that's, you're right on with, uh, everything you said. Uh, yeah. yeah that's she, she's a pro man. She's a pro. Yeah. That's what no, I respect you for doing that kind of work. I, uh, thank you. If I wasn't doing films, I'd be doing that. She's yep. a blessing hey, to the community you can and the show still help. You can still help Absolutely. Randall. <laughs> I'll tell you how. I've got some years. <laughs> no, I, I, I would like to that, Deb. I'd actually appreciate uh, any way I can be of help, um, particularly to these types of individuals, because it's a hard row. And, not you know, everybody's different. People process it differently. Their families, you know, how does their family, their relationships? It, it's, it's a complex thing. We don't, we're just really beginning to understand and take seriously. Um, so I'm, I'd be interested in helping there. You got to meet Professor Mack, right? You filmed yes. him? Right. What, what is his... Uh, I was kind of like interested in what his take... What were uh, private conversations that you had about his 
what he took away from the kids because when he's speaking with them, he, he can't show a certain amount of emotion, right? When he's interviewing them, he has to be very clinical in the way that he speaks with them so you're not tainting the jury, you know, you're Correct. getting their story. But So is there anything that you'd like to share uh, relative to your discussions with John Mack about his interactions with these kids? I think shock. I think there's some moments that they're not there. Actually, I think there's one in the film um, because he had been researching this before he even got to Ariel. Uh, and he, his, what really brought him to this was this, this doesn't have a clinical explanation. And the man had done dreams, nightmares, addiction. I mean, he's written books on this stuff, papers and papers. The, the guy was a genius to be honest. Um, and he, in all his work and time of 50 years in the field, had never seen anything quite like this when he was introduced to it. Uh, and it didn't behave like uh, uh, psych psychopathy or uh, uh, what do you call it? Um, you know, all the like hysteria or something. Everything in the DSM four or five at the time, DSM four, I believe. Um, so, yeah, I think uh, he had just started to travel around the world to get other stories outside of the United States. Uh, so I, it was just, I think, confirmatory to him that this is not just a this is a widespread phenomenon. And it's it is world global on in every single country. Um, so I think that's. Uh, yeah, I, he was I got to say. He's one of the few people I've met where I'm like, wow, this guy's he's way outside my boundaries <laughs> as far as um, his uh, scope of intelligence and knowledge. And, you know, I'm not not trying to. You know, what do you call it? So it's just as an acknowledgement as another human being, I recognize in him a level of genius that was like, wow, that guy's he's thinking on another plane. Randall, as somebody who's never met him, when I watched the film and I saw him, I found him to be extremely approachable. The, the, the look on his face, the way that he hit his attention, I was like, that's a guy that I would talk to and open up to. So I could see how he would resonate with the kids that are of these very, very diverse backgrounds. Um, I think they felt comfortable talking to him because that, that's what I felt. Nathan, did you feel that way when you were looking at Professor Mack? I mean, absolutely. That's one of the things that I uh, felt almost kind of a sadness in the film because you're watching John Mack at his best and you know that he's no longer with us and you feel this tremendous sense of loss that we have lost this incredible intellect in person. Uh, you know, he had this capability to create space with a person that was uh, sacred and powerful and meaningful and, um, something that I think the film really encapsulates and, and it hits me very hard because you don't see it very often is that uh, authenticity, that, that presence to another human being, right? That, that you are, that you are there with them in that moment. And that's such a rarity now. Uh, it, it, you know, we're, we're really accustomed to uh, what is in it for me. And in this exchange, how do I come out on top? 
uh, you know, that was not happening at all in the film. And, and you, and as a result, you can see the healing that is happening in that, in that community uh, through those kinds of open, honest exchanges. Yeah. And he, he, he was, you know, he spent 20 years working with children. So he, he was, he knew how to create that environment. Um, kids are totally different than dealing with adults. Uh, and I, I'm no expert by any means with that. It's just, uh, I do respect that he came in onto that scene with an awful lot of uh, education and, and clinical experience to, to be able to do that. Um, it's even funny some, cause he was working in on this uh, topic. He, um, there's sometimes where he has a, well, he'll have a leading question and sometimes he'll use, he would use the leading question to, to try to throw somebody off. That's part of, that's how he would do it. How other Bud Hopkins would do the same thing uh, just to validate that that was the truth. So, and you see that in the interviews, he'll throw something out there like buzzing sound was it a da da da. And the kid's like, no, that was like a fluke. Um, <laughs> Like, it's actually pretty brilliant because uh, it, it, it shows the autonomy, I guess you could say, of each of these individuals. And that's the other stunning thing that I noticed in the archival is they're not looking at each other to make sure we're on the same story, on the same page. You know, that doesn't happen. Um, and that, so every, every individual had their own perspective. And they're all different places on the playground and um, just a very interesting, it's a, <laughs> I hate to say this, but you look at it like a crime scene mm. and that's kind of like, I was, I'm coming from being a filmmaker and going into uh, investigative journalism. That's really what happened. And it took my, uh, my editor to snap me out of it. He's like, dude, you're not thinking creatively anymore. You're, 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 You've gone too far down the investigative journalist hole because <laughs> you just want to you just want more information and you want to put the puzzle pieces together even more, even though I'd already done it. Um, I was still I'm still not done. I, I, I'll still get new information. And I'm like, ah, <laughs> I know where that goes. You know, you plug in these little pieces of like, how does this fit or doesn't it fit? It may not fit. It may not. It may steer you in a different direction to look at a different thing. Um so that was kind of a process of going back to creative, uh, very different parts of your brain. And Nathan, did you have something more? Do you want to pass it on to Debs? Well, I, I wanted to ask um, if you could reflect a little bit about um, the the legacy of this story, because we all know in our experiences that uh, that they, the way we interpret our experience, the the story we tell ourselves. You know, it changes over time and it, it changes significance over time. And uh, I get the sense that this story uh, being told now is the right time to tell it, even though it had power and significance before. So what do you see as the uh, the legacy going forward for this story uh, for the world? That's a good question. Um, I hadn't thought of that. Um, why we hired him <laughs> good move um yeah I, I i think the 
it's probably the only case I'm aware of where so much uh, video was taken at the time, um, at least in that time period. Uh, I think they, the story touches on pretty much almost every aspect of this phenomenon from them seeing it in the sky, behaving strangely, doing weird things, and then all of a sudden seeing it come down and these creatures come out. Um, pretty stunning. Uh, but all the phenomena that they talk about, a lot of it is not in the film. And the reason why is because probably most people would not understand what it meant because <laughs> they're like de subtle details that uh, are really astounding. Do um, tell. Uh, the way they moved certain descriptions about their bodies, parts, neck. Um, yeah, it's, uh, there's so much more than what, what was in this film. We, I mean, we started out with a, a rough cut that was over three hours and it was good. Mm. And we're like, you know, everybody's telling us now you got to get it down to close to an hour and a half or it's not going to happen. So, um, I really would love to get the rest of this, uh, story out at some point for sure i'm not quite sure how to do that because i'm still paying for this one <laughs> in a big way but um yeah i really because it's it i do feel the legacy of the story is that there's so much to it um that there's so much data um and not just from the kids you know that's the other hidden story really at this point, it's what else was going on, who else had this on their radar, all that stuff. Mm. That's, I mean, at the end of the day, really, that's kind of what, like, solidified it for me. It was like, okay, yeah. I mean, people that didn't even know these children, people that didn't even know that country. Mm. Yeah. So, did, did any, I'm sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say, did any of the kids report that these beings had combination skin? Like I'm afflicted with, you know, the, the, the dry and then the oil. I'm just kidding. Um, mm -hmm. So, um, no, let me pass it to Debs and then I've, I've got another question for you. Go ahead, Debs. Right. So, first of all, I think we would all love if you did a sequel with the extra footage, even if you just called it extra footage. We would all watch that, just so you know. <laughs> like we would yeah. be all about that. And if you put it on YouTube and that's how you get it out there it would get watched just letting you know but um no, no. i wanted to comment we we know that there's been a lot of other schools that have had mm -hmm. encounters also um have these experiencers ever spoken with each other and shared like notes past notes on their encounters i know australia for instance had a major incident with lots of witnesses or have you even um done that yourself just try to compare notes with the encounters oh, yeah. with these other schools yes for particular primary schools um i went to wales in uh, broadhaven and uh talked to went to the school which which was odd i have to say like on my drive out to broadhaven i was like god these roads are so similar to the roads in zimbabwe like wow you know it's very it's a remote place by the ocean a little differently a little different. Um, and uh, none of the witnesses wanted to speak with me. So I had to, uh, I was stalking them. <laughs> That's what they said. And I did talk to three of them. And um, they, 
and I interviewed one of the teachers that was at there. And then, and I also collected all their drawings, which is in the Historical Society in Broadhaven, because I wanted to compare those photographs. Uh, Broadhaven to me was was pivotal. Westall in Australia, because it was a different, there wasn't the, it was just different. Uh, and I, I commend Sean for doing a great job on that. Um, and I, I, he wanted to talk to me at the time and I was just like, I can't even talk to anybody. I'm so focused on this. And, um, but, uh, I did talk to the three witnesses in Broadhaven and they said, look, you know, we came out public a long time ago and it hasn't done us any good, you know, and they're in their late forties at this point, early fifties. And they're like, it happened, but I have no, there's no upside to, uh, speaking about it at this point. And I hope they do at, at some point, because I think those witnesses have something to say. Um, but I found like a lot of times I see this over and over and over. And I don't know if you guys have um, where people will witness something like this and they won't talk to each other too much about it. Yes. Yes. You know, yes, they actually don't disturbing on some level. I mean, I think that's it uh, where and it's and I think it's such a personal experience, you know, I'm not quite sure how to explain that, but I find that uh, there's a lot less conversation than than people would imagine. I have a hypothesis about it. Uh, I think my hypothesis is that perhaps it's scarier to have it confirmed. Hmm. That's true. That's good. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. yeah. And, mm. and um and I was gonna say uh with the the Bigfoot experiencers, there have been groups where one person didn't know the other hunter very well. Maybe they had gone out for the first time and never talked again. And there have been others where they were close friends and while they talked again, there would be one who would refuse to talk to the other about it. So it's very common. Just confirmation of what you just said, but from that, you know, a a, a related genre. So sure. And then, then, then I get, you know, once it's confirmed, then, oh my God, what does that mean? I think that's it, right? It's, uh, mm. it's so destabilizing to yes. nailed it, Deb. Yep. Yeah. I think that's true. Yep. Cause um, I've been amazed watching the kids not talk to each other about it, you know? And I'm like, I, I think, and, and not just that case, several other cases. Cause part of the process of making this film had to do with, going to Wales, going to the government, going to the military, talking about everybody, talking about what was going on at the time. Like people have no idea how much actually went into this film that didn't get into the film. But I, I think I did a pretty good job of like sussing everything out. Um, but uh, there's a lot more to share. That's what I'm like, ah, you know, right, I feel, you did a good job. Like, oh my God, after all this work, I, there's so much more to share. And I, I, you know, trying to get it out there has been tough, to be honest with you. Hmm. I feel like in a weird way I've been sidelined hmm. by the mainstream in some weird way. I don't quite understand it, but anyway. Interesting. Time, time, time will, time always, time and truth always wins. Yeah. Well, for example, people didn't think you would get this film out. And you proved that wrong. So yeah. now it's just a matter of time before you get the rest <laughs> of the material out and the rest of the story out oh, and you'll prove them wrong again. 
I'm going to be an old man by that time, guys. <laughs> oh, please. Please. You're nine days younger than me. Come on. Um, DJ will always be older. So, <laughs> so you're April, April, uh, April 7th, April 8th. No, I'm right? sorry. I'm March 18th. And you're March 30th, right? Yeah. So 12 days, right? Nice. So, um, 68. That's right. It's Summer of Love, man. Come on. The Monterey Pop Festival. Let's go. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so. What I was going to ask you is beyond what the kids reported to you that was communicated to them, do you have a working hypothesis about why they made that landing? Is Does it comport exactly with what the kids told you was communicated to them and that young lady so eloquently uh, repeated on camera? Or do you think there's another reason? Or was it to check the oil, Nathan? Could it have been as simple as, you know, checking the, the air and the landing gear? No, but all neck. kidding aside, do, do you have a hypothesis on that? Their purpose? Um, I do. Um, hmm. So what, what, so I do believe that communication session... Sure whatever happened there, I do believe that really happened. Um, sure. the but reason it broader why, than that, was it broader than that? Yeah. Um, I just want, yeah, let me, the reason I believe that is because I, there were other people that also had that experience, other students who admitted it to me, but wouldn't go on camera about it. That's why, that's why I, I know that whatever occurred in that moment when they had direct eye contact that close and encounter if you will um that there was something communicated to quite a few people in that moment um you know the broader thing to be honest with you is um human beings are wild animals and we don't realize we are because we've never been approached by a more superior species and maybe we did and maybe that's why there was you know these major experiences you know, and throughout our history, when they have interacted with us. Um, so my feeling, it's, it seems like, um, in, in a way, a domestication program, in a sense, to sort of taint, because you can't grow and work with another species until you are not going to freak out with that other species. And this is a huge jump, a huge gap to bridge between a, a high in my, this is my opinion. I'm just want to make it like my, my theory, my working feelings about this are, you know, they're, they're going to engage with us to try to get us used to them slowly, very, very slowly. And uh, I don't, I just don't see the, um, I see a, a, a scientific interest. I see, you know, I, one of the things I did was like, let's go look at it from a wider perspective. What's their perspective? Right. There's a guy doing a film about that right now, Dean Alito. It's fantastic. Um, it, and taking that perspective and how they may be looking at us and where we're at. And if they can get to places like ours, obviously they've been around for an awfully long time, uh, which makes the gap much bigger, which is going to make the fear even greater. Um, so that's my, I do feel like this is a process of, uh, 
desensitization. Desense, getting us used to what's out there. We're okay. so wrapped up in our own planet and our own God. You know, We're our, our friend own... Matt. I'm sorry. No, go ahead. Our friend Matt Monroe has a tangential question. Then I'm going to come back to Nathan with and sure. ask a, a question to him. Um, Matt Monroe wants to know, do you think the landing had to do with the uranium mine near the aerial school? Hi, Matt. Hey, Matt. Thanks um, for the question. Yes. Uh, well, <laughs> let me put it this way. That wasn't my interest. Uh, it was brought up to me. Um, and I located those two. There's two locations, actually. But to me, it really didn't matter. Um, if, if that, I mean... The location, uh, granted, we're dealing with things that appear to be very interested in our, our scientific cutting edge and what we're doing with very dangerous things. Very obvious that they're watching that. Uh, was that the reason for Ariel? Maybe. Maybe they were doing something else and said, let's uh, let's give these kids an experience. Maybe. I just I never took it as a priority um, because of the. The nature of the story was so much deeper that the reasons didn't matter why they were there. It was the fact that they were there, you know, and from everybody that witnessed it. Uh, I don't, you know, I'm not talking from my, the, I can't argue with these people, like even right. the adults and other witnesses that saw this um, from different perspectives, you know, I'm not going to change their minds. They know. And I, and that's the other thing. A lot of these people are really, they don't have the light pollution that we have here. Those right. skies are dark. Um, they don't have the radar coverage we have here. Uh, it's a very different world, Africa. Uh, and it's huge. Um, beautiful place, man. Beautiful oh, it's place. so beautiful. I've been I wish it was several. a little bit safer. But Have you been there? I have, yeah. Um, wow, where'd you go? I was in the mil military, uh, Mali, Niger, Algiers, oh, wow. um, a lot wow. of Trans-Saharan Africa, just because of the nature of my work. But, um, but yeah, it was. I'm so glad that that I did have that experience. Um, other friends of mine went to Senegal a lot, but I never got to. I didn't get to go to Senegal, unfortunately. Um, yeah, I, I always tell people like, we don't need boot camp. You just drop them off in Africa, give them six months. If they make it back, they're That's trained. <laughs> you got that right. You do your jungle, jungle survival there and be running to the Maasai warriors saying, what do I do? Um, let me, uh, I, so I think uh, Nathan and Debs want to tackle that question as well. Thank you, Matt Monroe, because Matt was amongst the group that uh, had dinner with us that we uh, had the pleasure to meet in hey, uh, New York City. So Matt, Matt ate with us. He had a cool yep. ball capped on. He kind of looked kind of cool. Um, so yeah, so there he is. Science Bob in the house, yo, um, Nathan, uh, and then we'll go to Debs with the same question, but Nathan, did, did you have a feeling about what you thought their purpose was for coming to that place at that time and interacting with those kids? Was that happenstance? What's your, your whole take on that? I think, um, my perspective on this is that it, we have we can't think about it as in terms of um that it happened in the past i think that it happened it, it's happening in a way it's happening now 
right? Um, that there's a there's a funny relationship we have with time, and in some of the children recount how time was a little strange in the moment of that experience. But but I think more broadly, uh, it was like this injection of of an engagement that is teaching us something now. It, it was planted then, but it is it is flowering now. And there are those in the world who are seeing it, who are feeling seen because it is validating what they have experienced. And the power of that validation is contagious, right? And so, you know, to Randall's point as well, you know, we aren't ready and it requires uh, time and in, in the way we know time, it, it requires uh, a, a, a very personal uh, sharing of the experience. You know, you, you, this is not something, and we know this, right? We know this because uh, we have so many people who said, I've experienced this and everyone's like, whatever, you know, but it, it requires a relationship. You know, if you, if you know that person and they say, DJ, you know, I experienced this and you, you know me, like it hits different than it does if you just read it somewhere. It's harder to ignore. And I think that this is part of that story, the unfolding of what's happening now. The seeds were planted then. Nathan, do I see in there, in your statement there, that they saw this happening now then? When they landed there, they saw this This was going to happen. They projected this. I think no. in a way. No, I yeah, think okay. in a way, because I think that their relationship with time is different than ours. I think that they um, understood that, that, that it would have this rippling effect on us you know, over our experience of time and our, in our, throughout our societies. So, um, no, you're absolutely. I mean, they, they have, they obviously have to look at time completely differently because of the fact that we are forced to view time based on change that occurs not only within us, but without us and what we see every day, but for them, maybe not the case. Deb, we're going to give that question to you and then we're going to go to Julie for, with her question. So yeah, what, what did you have Debs? Yeah, a couple of things. One on the time thing, that's a really interesting perspective. I've had similar thoughts in general that if we were to put every experience and be honest about every experience together, we might be getting a message and they might be messaging us in a way that is very different than how we send messages. Like if, if people were honest about experiences and piecing things together, we probably would have gotten really far actually in understanding that message. But unfortunately we're still working out the kinks on that system. But um, I, I have to say to answer the question of what happened, that it stands out to me, the comment about the flute, because when I was a child, I was in Germany and we used to watch a very particular play called the Pied Piper. And when you mention the sound, I, I really hone in on that. And I wonder, I do think that there is a level, I don't want to be an alarmist, but there isn't a level, a level of some kind of manipulation to humans that happens. And I think that it's maybe the purpose is beyond our understanding, but I am inclined to go with the notion of science, you know, but 
I, I wish you could expound a little bit on the sound. I know that you've mentioned it before in another interview and then kind of didn't want to talk about it that much. I don't know if you're comfortable telling us about that sound Me? that they heard. Yeah. Me? Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, <laughs> it doesn't come from them. Uh, it doesn't come from the aerial kids. It comes from other people. Uh, like the oscillating humming sounds. Uh, that's pretty common. Uh, the mechanical, like some of the ways they describe it, it's pretty brilliant. Because it's really hard to describe a sound that we have no reference for. Um, and then the high pitch sound, if, they, if you hear that high pitch sound, you're in trouble. <laughs> That's just the truth. <laughs> um, so, and I, I, I personally, I think this is, is very much a scientific operation. I don't think these things are evil. I just think we're very, actually very dangerous to them. Because we are, you know, again, I go back to that idea. I know it may sound crazy to people, but we are technically really wild animals when we're put in those kind of circumstances. Um, so the sounds are actually really important. And the other one is the silence uh, that follows these uh, this phenomenon, the silence that occurs at different points and um, the lack of sound. I think it's is really pretty incredible too. Um, but that's what I've, I, I'm not, you know, you can, there are other incidents about those particular sounds um, that you can find. Um, and it was interesting because, well, it goes on. It's just the, the, the sound was an interesting uh, part of this whole experience for them too. Um, it's Not only were they seeing something strange and feeling something strange, but they were hearing something very strange too. I think the science fiction guys have captured this the best. I mean, the sounds that people describe are what I've heard in Star Trek and other other science fiction films. So it seems like the imagination humans have imagined what this might sound like in 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 various uh, you know as best that we could replicate it. Obviously, we're not gonna we're not gonna hit those those ranges. That, that, that these craft are probably able to hit, as you described, you could be in trouble if you're hearing it. Matt Monroe saying that he's heard a couple of different, because he's obviously uh, new to me, but Matt has had some UAP sightings. Uh, let me go with Julie's question, and then I think Deb wants to go to some current event talk. Um, Can I just say Julie? something about fiction? Yes, sir, please. Most, yes, sir. Most, most great fiction comes from truth. Like... You know, where do you think Close Encounters, I'm not saying to you, but like Close Encounters of the Third Kind or all these different films that have just floored us. I mean, they didn't just make that up out of the blue. <laughs> they got some scoop. Yeah, <laughs> and that's what you do, right? You When you make a fictional film, you, you go on this massive pre-production thing where you research what you're going to do, right? Find out stories about anything you can around the subject matter. Um, so when you do the fictional, you're pretty right on. Um, so that's kind of funny. Like this, none of this came from fiction, you know, it came from, uh, even going back, I was watching a 1956 film on UFOs the other night. And I'm like, it's the same story. We're still talking about the same thing, the same things people are seeing, hearing, watching. And that was 1956. I'm like, you gotta be kidding me. <laughs> Topic has gone very far, is it? <laughs> Just stunning. I'm sorry. I'm getting my personal 
no, I, I think we all share that to, uh, to one degree or another. Um, other so people live get, with this every day and they're fine yes. in other countries. Yes. They know. No, I, I know. I know. Um, it, it, that's a, that's a whole separate discussion that Sorry. I, I, I can't know. No, I mean, I, I would, I, I'll get into it, but, uh, let me, let me take, take, cause I don't want to leave Julie out of this and then we can go into some current events and, and then whatever you guys want to talk about. But she says, how are the experiencers being treated since the film? I hope they are happy about participating. So, um, that's going to the, the young ladies and men that you, uh, that, that participated in your, your documentary. Well, that's a good question. I, I think it's, uh, it's not easy. Um, you know, everybody's been pretty, pretty quiet to be honest with you. Um, uh, you know, you don't see them rushing out to do interviews and, you know, um, it's hard. I think it's hard no matter who you are or no matter what you saw it. Like, I think it's, um, it was, it was already hard for them back then. So I, you know, it's a long time. This is, uh, that a lot of people have been thinking about it. Um, and I think, probably Deb, you're right about the confirmation confirmation. Um, uh, a lot of people have avoided each other for a long time for, because of this incident um, and other incidents like this. Uh, so I don't know. I just, I wish, you know, I have to just wish them the best um, with that, what their process they're going through. Um, yeah. I just, yeah, it's hard to I'm, be responsible for that process by telling sure. the, you know what I mean? I feel, you know, I have a, my own uh, feelings about it. My own um, it brings up a lot of different things for me too. And uh, yeah, it's, it's just. A lot of people don't want to be defined by one thing that, that they saw correct. and everybody wants to ask about it. And there's some of these women that you could see, I just want to live my life. I want to raise my kids and I don't want to be defined by this event that that's right. all people want to know me for and talk to me for. I just want to be me, just be a person. And I, I get that, you know, I, I, and anybody who's, you know, the least bit empathetic can get that. But Deb wanted to go into some current events. So please, Deb, go ahead and uh, throw out the topic that you wanted to tackle. Okay. So we'd be um, kind of missing the ball, so to speak, if we didn't talk about what is going on right now with UAPs and the United States government and military? Um, so not only am I interested in your perspective on it, but I wanted to throw out a question um, that I kind of threw out on Twitter um, today, which was, why do we think, even though NORAD has had thousands of sightings of uncorrelated targets that Ross Colthart has spoken about for some time, because he's been chummy with some guys at NORAD, why is it all of a sudden we're shooting those targets down? So I'll tackle that. Um, so when you, when you talk about uncorrelated targets and they're looking at hits on what a radar or they're looking at whatever visual sensors that they have that may be space-based sensors, and they're looking at something that they feel is not an anomalous technology, not something like what Ryan Graves saw and something they think is made by a global power competition rival. Uh, 
and our global power competition rivals are Russia and China. So I'm guessing that the reason that they shot these down is because they were not UAPs. They were not something that could outperform our aircraft or our technologies, and it's just as simple as that. Um, for, like, uh, the people were asking me today, I talked to a couple of our friends from the UK. They were hypothesizing about what President Biden might or might not say, and I said, well, he's not going to say anything uh, because to characterize it uh, is not in his interest. To be vague and and unclear specifically about what it was and what the nature, what they picked. They may have, for all we know, they may have recovered every single piece of what was shot down by now. But to do that and to confirm it doesn't, you don't give the other intelligence services a chance to be unclear and to guess about it. And that's what they want to do. This is like gamesmanship. This is chess. So you don't want to, you always have to, as, 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 uh, you know, their job is to project strength and power. Um, and so and every time you say, I don't know, uh, we don't know what this is, we can't control, we can't, nobody, you don't do that because that just tells Russia and China exactly what they would want to hear. So you have to keep it vague and keep them guessing. And I think that's exactly what they've done. They've seen th four technologies that they said, hey, we can take this out of the sky with an AIM-9 or uh, an AIM-23, whatever those uh, was on the rails of that F-22. And they said, okay, we can take a shot, we get this. If they saw like a sphere in a cube, I don't think they're going to take a shot at that, <laughs> you know, or a tic-tac, right? So that's my take. Yeah, I agree. I, I agree. You know, what, should I talk? I'm not sure. Yes, where sir. We're at. Yes, sir. Absolutely. Um, well, thank you. Yeah, I, I agree with you. Um, I think like initially, like the biggest thing that happened was a, play, a power play saying, hey, we got it. We got whatever, we, you know, in our skies, we got it. Right. That was the first kind of statement that was made by it. Um, what's interesting about uh, the we're, we're talking about spying. Right. I think that's very interesting because that could lead to, well, who else is spying on all of us? Right. Well, uh, yes, sure. So that's a doorway. I, I, you know, initially I was like, oh, here they go. We're going to walk back the whole thing because, you know, we don't want to we don't want to freak people out. That's, the, you know, their M.O. So um, but it also is opening doorways, I think. Um, so we'll see. We'll see. But, yeah, if this was the real deal, they would not have shot at it. Let me throw one, I, I want to throw something else at you. One of the goals that they like to be able to do is to, to Nathan mentioned this before about destabilizing, said the word destabilizing, you know, off balancing you. And one of the things that, the, that because we have a very, very free press and our two global power competition rivals do not have that, um, they like to throw things out there. If, first of all, 50% of the United States at any one time does not trust the president and or that person's entire government. So you have that. So now we're just working on that other 50% now. So we're, our job is made a lot easier, or their job. You know, this is not the, the Truman era or, the, or the, uh, the Roosevelt era or anything like that where, you know, you had 70 or 80% of the country, whatever it might have been. So, so doing things like this causes a distrust in the government. It causes people to say, what is this? Why'd they let it float over the country before they took it down? Uh, is, this an, is this an attack from aliens? Uh, is this Russia and China that can just 
float objects across our, our, our airspace. So it's a very, very good move. They're going thumbs up in Russia and China because here you have Russia that's got egg on their face. Uh, they should have been able to take out Ukraine like a year ago, or not, not actually, but you know, six months ago. And then you have China that's kind of trying to play both sides. But to the extent that they can make us look uh, a little bit weak and, and destabilize and keep us off balance, that's a, that's a win in their mind. Mm. I think the public, I, the public trust issue that you brought up is extremely important because uh, we're at an all-time low, and that's not good. And I think a large reason for that is the overclassification and the, the, that they're keeping things that they should tell their public um, too, too, quite, too, too close to the vest. And they're, you, know, you do not want to lose the public's trust. You can't. And we've heard that from the representatives who have spoken out following the briefings that they had, that uh, many of them openly calling for the president to be forthright with the American people, tell, tell the American people what we know. Uh, you know, I, I think it's um, there were a lot of unanswered questions from what we've heard uh, on the official line. There's been some confusing statements made from different uh, you know, representatives from NORAD and, and the DOD. Uh, we don't look like we have our act together. Let's put it that way. Um, and, and, you know, to DJ's point, I, I agree. We want to keep our cards close to the vest. Like that's really important. Uh, but at the same time, we don't look super competent right now either. Um, so, uh, that was I don't their know. goal. That was their it, goal. It, to, to not look competent. Yeah. <laughs> that was their goal is to yeah. make us not look competent. Oh, oh, I'm so saying that's that, what I said. Yeah. yeah. No, no. I, yeah. The other countries. Yeah. 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 I agree yeah. with you there. Uh, but you know, we almost, we would have been better saying nothing than what we said so far Because what we said so far has actually made us look more incompetent. Um, so, uh, but, but, you know, large on a larger sort of perspective on this, I think, and I want to get your th take on this, Randall, you know, there is a certain degree to which, uh, acknowledging that these things are even there, uh, whether they are, you know, air clutter balloons, whatever they may be, uh, it, it does begin sort of opening the, uh, possibility space for uh, the American public and the world as to, you know, what else is up there. And, um, you know, cognitively, I think that is kind of like prepping the field, so to speak, uh, for some things that uh, that may be coming down the, 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 the pipeline here. At least I think that that, that is the case. I could be wrong. Uh, that's very, I, that, very possible. Um, you know, I've seen I fly, I've seen balloons, you know, it's not an abnormal thing to see if you put enough hours up, up, up in the sky. Uh, you see party balloons and just huge groups. Uh, you occasionally will see a weather balloon. I've had one encounter with a weather balloon. Um, one of those figures of like SpongeBob, or I forget what it was. I took photographs out my window when I was flying by it. It's just like, what is this thing doing at 6,000 feet? Um, so yeah, balloons, uh, all that stuff is kind of normal things. You, I mean, this was a different experience, a high altitude balloon with a lot of gear on it, 2000 pounds. It's a lot. Um, you know, that's not something I would run into, but you, you know, 
pilots run into, uh, you know, you see balloons occasionally and it does like, oh man, if I hit that thing, I'd be in, you know, it would cause some damage. But uh, uh, birds are far more a problem. Um, so, yeah, I think uh, it opens the door to say, well, what else? You know, and, and, you know, that it's funny that movie Don't Look it Up came up. Now everybody's looking up, uh, maybe. Um, and thinking about that space, which is not very large, um, you know, as far as we go for horizontal, you know, we go north, south, east, east and west. When you go up, it's not very, it's, you go up three miles, you can't breathe. You know, That's right. uh, we're, we're in a very, like, small area and we fly up to whatever 80,000 feet um before you know where there's different layers of the atmosphere um ionosphere is fascinating to me because that's when things do crazy things because of the <laughs> that you get a light show um so anyway um yeah I, i'm hopeful because i think we have to just we have to address this we really do and it's not going to hurt us. I don't think that's what's happening here. If I'm wrong, yeah. uh, you know, I, I just don't see that. I think um, it, it's, if anything, it'll probably bring us all together on a totally different uh, and important way. Yeah. And so this was sort of a test right there, right? Would, would they attribute it to another intelligence technology or would they say it's human technology so you saw what the answer was the answer was it was human technology mm -hmm. whether it was or not i mean yeah i mean to me um i i, I had a, a conversation with another member of cab the ufo thinker frank today and i said on the order of probabilities is it impossible that we could take out another intelligence's aerial technology with one of our weapons it's not impossible it's yeah. less than likely that we would be able to do that based on what we know, and we don't know at all, right? Because we're not priv privy to the top secret info of different interactions with different aircraft and different aerial phenomenon that was from out of this world, or at least non-human intelligence, right? But on the order of probabilities, it is less than likely that we're going to shoot down a Tic Tac with an F-22 or something analogous to that. Would we all agree with that? Yeah. Okay, so, but if they wanted to characterize it as another intelligence, because we none of us know what they actually were, what they downed, they could have, right? And we would be none the wiser. They decided not to. So that should be a little bit of a window to you UFO uh, analyst out there or UFO interested person, which all of us on this group are and all of UFO Twitter is, Right. Um, that should be a window into into what they're thinking. So I've I've said to uh, uh, on our show on many occasions, there's a, there's a delta between what I want them to tell us and what I think we should know and what they think is in their interest to tell us. Those are not the same things, because in theory, my occupation. Let's just say for this, this is not my occupation. I do actually work in government, but let's just say that I'm a UFO analyst is my occupation. So I care. Disclosure is what is my job. I want to know about that. Their job is to instill public confidence and trust. And unfortunately, 
what UFO interested persons don't get is it's not in their interest to tell everything what we know about UFOs and what we've captured and we've done this and we've done that and we're back engineering technology and we we've had these interactions and this is what they're not going to do that it's not in their interest because Russia and China aren't doing that now if they all got together and said collectively we're going to get on stage at the UN and talk about now that's a different story but that's not in the offing is it so can I comment here real quick I just think if we step back for a minute and look at what's going on. A couple really significant things have to be highlighted. The White House was explaining to the American public that it was not aliens. So think about that for a minute. When would we have ever imagined that the White House would even be say, like ever have to say that, right? And then secondary, NORAD had a general saying, I can't roll out aliens. When did we ever think like I was listening Never. live when that happened, right? This is yeah. the fact that they're even telling us about these shoot downs when we know for a fact that there have been shoot downs in the past. They're telling us now they're making it public now. OK, that's a big deal. Something is big... going on. Was it Kirby? Well, they, they had to. They had to react to it because it well, was in the news. Was... Yeah. But I, I think it was Kirby. Um who said, you know, it wasn't extraterrestrial. I'm like, what? Mm -hmm. Like, that's a new category now? Like, that's no longer off the table. It's exactly what you're saying, Deb. Thanks for, that's brilliant. Yeah. Because well, that, that's what struck me too. I, it, it's, 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 it's really true. Like, right. there, is this the normalization process? It occupies well, Lou, the possibility space now, whereas before well, it wasn't Lou even on we, the table. We have mm -hmm. Lou and Christopher Mellon and Tom DeLonge and all the, and Alex Dietrich and Dave Fravor and all them and the New York Times crew to thank for that because yeah. they're the ones that that otherwise we wouldn't be having. I've told people, I I've told, guys, man, yeah, yes, and I do. I've told my friends in the UK, until you make the government move from the position that they're in, they're they're stuck right here. You see my desk shaking, and they're not going to move until you make them move. The reason mm -hmm. the UK government is not moving is because they have they do not have a way to move them off of their position of we don't discuss UFOs. Well, guess what? Lou and Chris and all those guys in the fighter pilot said, well, guess what? Here at front front page of New York Times had a UFO interaction. Well, <laughs> now we're going to have to discuss it. Plus, they got meetings up on the hill. So now the DOD was uh, forced to talk about it. But what, what I'm saying is, as far as them disclosing what they know about it, I don't think that's happening. They're, the, the reason that they're talking about it is they were forced into it as a result of people seeing these balloons and people, civilian agencies being aware that uh, fighters are being launched and something was being scrambled and people saw this. And so that forced their hand. If they could have kept it secret, I'm certain they would have. Yeah. You know, the, the other thing that uh, there's a lot up there, you know, I know they talk about, you know, the, there's there's all kinds of stuff up up in the sky that, you know, I've been out with my telescope and sky watching forever. And um, yeah, there's so much up there. But and these other things, <laughs> other creatures, whatever you want to call it, this other species, um, you know, they're not uh, they're very subtle, actually. Um, 
it's not like they're racing around in our atmosphere all the time. Uh, and, and, you know, that uh, they don't travel in the way that we do either. Um, so quick appearances and quick disappearances are just normal. So we, I mean, we don't even know how to do anything like that uh, or how to address it because once it's there, maybe for 45 seconds and then it's gone. Uh, and then the F-15 show up about, you know, 10 minutes later. <laughs> yeah. Sorry guys. <laughs> well, you know, Randall, Randall, you're a pilot. A conflict, you know, Randall, you're I mean, a pilot. They're not following aerodynamics. They don't need aerodynamics. Not at all. That, that's, not at all. that's the, that's the big discriminator. And that's, they create that's, their own atmosphere around them. Mm -hmm. I don't know how, how it's done or whatever, but that's what you observe. Yeah. yeah. Uh, somebody, I, I recommend people go listen to Ryan Graves uh, podcast. I think it's called merged and you're going to hear a Japan airlines pilot there with, I don't know how many thousands. I mean, he's in the tens of thousands of hours. Um, yeah. He's been flying for 35 years and he'll tell you some of the, incident? what's that? Is that the Alaska incident? No, he is. Um, he talks about several different things and he's encountered oh. flying almost he's he's almost flown the entire ring around the world but he's flown some incredible routes all over uh asia all over the globe and so he tells wow. some stories that he knows that he experienced himself and then what's been relayed to him by other pilots but you know the wall i mean what should make deb happy is the walls are coming down pilots are starting to talk about it something that during the time of my career nobody talked about it and um and obviously, I mean, I'm the killjoy here. Nobody wants to hear from me because I'm going to tell people what they don't want to hear. But I'm going to tell them uh, the way the government works as I see it. And I've been in the defense industry for, I mean, I'm 55 and I've been there since I'm 23. So I have to call it like, you know, again, like it, I'm sure it wasn't easy for Ryan Graves to come forward and these other people. I, man. That's sacrifice and that's doing something for the courage. right reasons. And I have, yeah, courage. Um, I have a, just an enormous amount of respect for those people for doing the right thing. Um, it's, yeah. If the UK could get one Ryan Graves or one Dave Fravor, that would change everything. That person would have to know their flying career would be over uh, on day one that they reported it. But if they got one person like that, that could get the ball rolling. But the problem is they don't have that. So their government just tells them we don't talk about UFOs when they hmm. they've uh, when they correspond with the Ministry of Defense. They need to talk to their uh, airline pilots. That's pretty much. I mean, it's kind of discussed. OK, know. I messaged. Um, I flew with a, a British Airways pilot. Uh, he flew in my squadron in the early 2000s. And I know him really well, like him really well. I messaged him on LinkedIn. Hey, you know, I don't want to say his name. Hey, you know, can you tell me, have you seen anything? Because I know if he's flying for British Airways, he's been, all, he's been around the world. No, res no reply at all. And this is a guy that I like and likes me. Mm -hmm. So what does that tell you? Actually, I've, I've, I've messaged more than one of those. I've messaged two guys that I flew with that were in the RAF, but flew, they came to our squadron for four years and I know them really well and they haven't responded to me. So. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Silence. <laughs> hmm. 
you know, humans are very uh, like we like to mimic each other, right? We're, we we don't we're, we're not we're kind of herd animals in a way. We're not going to like go out on a limb if everyone else isn't going out on a limb. But but I think your film, uh, Randall, and 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 like we're seeing with what Ryan's doing, what we just talked about. I mean, it is giving people permission. They're taking the heat, basically, you know, and, and Randall, you, you're taking some heat too, putting your own self out there in this way. Um, but you're giving permission to others to respond. And I, I would like to, you know, if you could speak to any response that you've had since the film has come out, uh, you know, people who've connected with you, you know, can you tell us any of those kinds of stories? I've had a couple of people from my high school contact me oh. um, because of things that they had seen and gone through. Uh, that really blew my mind. That was a few years ago. Uh, recently, uh, letters I've gotten, notes I've gotten that, and, and the most powerful thing, it just almost brought me to tears. And I probably would have a good cry if I really sat with that letter for long. But it was, um, and there was more than one. And then they said, thank you for validating my experience. Dude, I can't tell you what that meant to me. And it wasn't, I don't take, that's what I, the children at Ariel did for those people. I was part of it. My crew was the kid, you know, I'm not taking the responsibility, you know what I mean? Um, it, but that's what, that's, there, there was no better result to that movie uh, other than that, where somebody who's alone with it, somebody who's been struggling with it, have nobody around them believing them finally has, you know, some kind of validation. And that's so important. Mm. No matter what you've gone through, actually. Yeah. R Randall, without going through an exhaustive search of my brain, I count seven mm -hmm. high school classmates that have had sightings in the Hudson Valley wave of the eighties, seven. Yeah. And every one of them has told me their story. And one of them has seen two different, most of them saw a triangle, actually eight. Now that I'm thinking of it, let's make it eight. That's what I mean. I mean, I didn't even have to, you know, cause we live right near Indian point power plant. So, so, you know, that Dr. Heineck, you know, wrote about that. Yep. Uh, and that's in my town. Um, so wow. anyway, one person saw, told me about a Tic Tac. She called me the other day. She was very concerned about the, the balloon issue or, or that we didn't know what it was at the time last Sunday. And, uh, and then everybody else, I believe saw a triangle other than she saw and her family saw the Tic Tac. Actually, I let me go nine, life. nine people. Now I'm up to nine. Sorry. <laughs> I'm going to add one. I'm going to add one. So now you got 10, uh, a friend of, uh, a, a good friend of mine, Dan, his w wife, Aaron, uh, I won't say anything. Sorry. Mm -hmm. I probably said too much, but that's okay. Nobody knows who okay. they are. Um, but she was she was in the Hudson Valley. She had witnessed. It went on for weeks, you know. Years. And she told me about it. And I'm like, oh my god! Like she was like for real, like this, you know. And she, I have a lot of respect for her. She was, uh, she's a fashion designer and uh, brilliant. And um, so, anyway, but yeah, I've heard that story from witnesses' mouths. Interesting. The Hudson Valley, that was a big deal. Yep. And I, I actually I had my sighting people. during Nine. that time. <laughs> did you? I did. Wow. I had a sighting in uh, when I was, mm. mine would have been like 82. Mine would have been eight yet yeah, the beginning of it. 
and then other people were closer toward the end of it. But when they, you know, Dr. Heineck and their references, calls coming into the Peekskill Police Department, that's, you know, like my town. So, yeah, it, it was um, something I never knew until, you know, here I'm in my 50s and talking UFOs with high school friends. So we, we would never have talked about it at the time. That's what's so, funny. I had the same experience. I'm like, wow, you got to be kidding me. This is coming full circle back to high school and even yeah. earlier than that. Oh, my God. And no, and you know, nobody said anything at the time. Yeah, let's Amazing. go with the uh, uh, cabbie goodbyes, unless somebody has something else for Randall. Oh, I just wanted to say before I say goodbye, real quick, Whitley Strieber's experience was on the way to Hudson Valley when he did his documentary about it recently. He was driving through Hudson Valley. Ooh, mm -hmm. interesting. Yeah. Ooh. Okay, I need wow. to talk to Whitley. That's awesome. Uh, yeah, I'll have to ask him which town he was in because every time they, I know, like, you know, I've heard of every town there, you know what I mean? So, um, but anyway, you want to start us off, Deb? Yeah, sure. So, I, to, to go back to what Nathan said about pieces being put in place in a different order of time and so on and so forth, your film is now a piece forever that will help people forever. Be, because you made that film, it is permanent and it will be treasured. So thank you so much for adding that and bringing out more on the experiencer side of the phenomenon. Thank you. That, feel, it, it, that makes it worth, you know, worth the uh, time and effort and sacrifice that was done by not just me, but many other people. Well, we thank them too, of course. Thank you to all the Aereo School children who came out. Thank you very much. Yeah, yeah it takes uh, incredible courage for them to tell their story. And uh, fate is not done with this story, in my opinion. No, uh, there is more story. Yeah, and I look forward to hearing that. And uh, this is a film that I hope people, one, watch, uh, but also share. Uh, it's incredibly compelling, powerful, moving. It's and 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 that that's excluding the UFO aspect of it. It's just a human story that is very, very, very impactful. And uh, I, I can't thank you enough, and your crew, and and the school, and everyone that helped make this possible. Um, so thank you, Randall, and we look forward to seeing what you'll be doing uh, in the future. Sure, I, I just want to say we're we're talking with a theater chain right now. It hasn't been solidified or anything yet, but mm. it's very exciting because, you know, the whole point is to get this film out so yeah. the world sees it. So, you know what I mean? It's not just it's not about money. It's not about that. It's about getting enough people to just see this so they can uh, have a little uh, um, teaser of uh, not, what do you call it when you put out a... Uh, Oh, like a trailer. Uh, or a, well, just get uh, used to the idea of yes. like, okay, I forget what you call that. Socialize to the, to the idea that there's a phenomenon out there that's visiting us on the regular and it's global. It's not. Yeah. So, and Jules has put this up on the screen for us. It's fantastic. Uh, phenomenon movie. Thank you, Jules. Yeah, we're on, uh, we're on Amazon, iTunes. We're, we're moving. And, and, and yeah, if you, we just got to keep going and. You know, I thought I'd be done with this five years ago, but the fight's not over until the fight is over. Exactly. 
thank you for not being done with it because uh, from my standpoint, what I see when I look at you is not somebody who is in this for a money-making venture to build his resume, to attend red carpets and look cool. Um, you seem to me a guy who's affected by the phenomenon um, in one way or another and for whatever reason that I don't need to know what that reason is. But I can tell that not only have the story of these kids touched your heart, but whatever experiences you've had has touched your heart and made an imprint on it that you feel the need to do this and to bring this subject and get it socialized so that there is less stigma. Then maybe governments won't feel as compelled to be a, a, as close hold about it, that, okay, they're the same way that the Native Americans look at Bigfoot. You know, they're like, okay, yeah, they're out there. They're our neighbors. They're there. We leave them alone. They leave, you know, that kind of thing. They have a, you know, a relationship where it's not a, a something that necessarily to be afraid of. They leave us alone. We leave them alone, et cetera. And so maybe that's what you can create as you uh, proliferate your artwork around the world. And I pray that you will get that done and, and get it into the eyeballs and into the, the minds of more people. There's a lot of powerful stories out there um, that I've been working on, you know, that will be next um, for sure, because uh, Ariel was one and I'm kind of focusing on a little bit of a different story, but same topic. Um, so Please I'm not feel free to come, come back and talk about whatever uh, projects you're doing. You know, we don't we don't have any money in this, but we just love to interact with uh, experiencers and list, hear stories and uh, and just bring the topic, you know, into a d discussive, conversative form. You know, that's all. Yeah, I appreciate what you guys are doing. Actually, it's very I'm, I, I'm I know a lot of people appreciate it. Thank yeah. you, Randall. Thank you for the way that you treated all of us when we when we saw you in New York and we met you. We just couldn't wait to have you on. So. You become part of Cat Fan. Weird feeling. <laughs> Just yeah. No, I appreciate it. Yes, sir. So, yep. um, thank Look you, Mr. Randall. Been in New York sometime, and uh, you know, love say to, that again. I'd love. I look forward to getting together in New York again sometime. And yeah, it'd be great. Spending some time would be nice. Yeah, I'm. I'm gonna have to come back up there because you know, I, you got meeting up with the, the the crew afterwards is so much fun. I mean, that's what I'm thinking about. Okay, some people are gonna talk about UFOs on stage, but then I'm gonna get to hang with a bunch of people, and that that's really what uh, what I'm about. So, uh, so for uh, Randall, we'll have Randall's information in the uh, show notes. Give us a like, give us a subscribe, and then you can read whatever he gives us to put in the show notes. We'll be there. So for Randall, for Debs. From Monet Nathan, this is DJ saying peace out, one love, we'll see you down the road, and as always, we're wondering what's up around the bend. <laughs>